Sequence is loading. You're a really weird man, aren't you? Seems so. Jenny Craig. All right, everybody. Walk and love. What the hell is going on here? From Forest Rain Studios, it's the home of boston-legal.org. You're connected to Boston Illegal here and now. It's a story of sleepovers, fat lips, hit and remember, and having your best friend's head examined. It's Wednesday, November 23rd. It's more than a week after Boston Legal Tuesdays. It's only about a third of the way through the drought we have coming up, Kyle. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of a hiatus. Two weeks without Boston Legal. I'm Dana Greenlee. You just heard from Kyle Abney. You're listening to Boston Illegal, the unofficial weekly audio experience of Boston Legal. It's the David E. Kelly-produced television show. It's broadcast here in the U.S. and actually all over the world, but here it's on ABC with the help of 20th Century Fox and, of course, David E. Kelly Productions. Today's Boston Legal Radio is essentially a conversation of Episode 8, entitled, Take It Away, Kyle. Ass Fat Jungle. I'm going to be doing that a lot during this broadcast. She likes to sidestep the, the cursing in case you missed last week. You know, I know it's a physical body part, so I should probably be okay with that, like arm fat jungle or something. But There you go. Well, our podcast is heard, of course, right at boston-legal.org. You can click on it, listen to it streaming, or download it. Uh, You can subscribe RSS feed to it and go to many of the portals like iTunes and Yahoo at podcasts.yahoo.com and at Odeo. So we're all over the place and in talks to get in more places right now on uh, cell phones. That's another nice portal to, to be able to just download Boston Legal Radio, listen to it on your cell phone. Well, Kyle, you are on official Thanksgiving break, and a lot of people listening to this right now are also enjoying their Thanksgiving break. Hooray. And maybe we should just take this moment and say this is why we we took a long time to get this one out, because the episode was a week ago Tuesday. And uh, we knew we had a drought, so we just kind of relaxed, had real life for a while. It was nice, wasn't it? It was. (laughs) I mean, sorry we're a little late, but, you know. We're here. We're doing it. We're just a couple days behind schedule. Yeah. And, you know, we actually heard from people. People were saying, where, where is the podcast? Um, when is it going to come out? Are you not going to do it? What are you going to do? It's great. They That's, missed us. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. <laughs> it is. Well, if you want to tell us why we're not out yet with our podcast, you can always reach us at, um, call us anytime at 1-800-986-8290. Leave a voicemail message. We're not answering the phone. We're rude that way. <laughs> <laughs> But you can also email us at bostonillegal at gmail.com. Both of those contact informations are on the front page and actually the bottom of every single page of boston-legal.org. We're going to do a quick rundown of what you'll expect in the next, I don't know, well, shall we say 30 minutes, 40 minutes? We'll see how long it's We going. always say it's going to be short, but then it always runs long. But this one, I think, actually might be a little shorter than normal. Yeah, we'll try. Uh, we're going to first, of course, deconstruct the episode. What was that, Kyle? That would be Ass Fat Jungle. All right. We'll take a look at the episode that will air December 6th called Gone. I can say that. Yeah. We'll revisit our Parallel Universe Trek in the courtroom. We have a special guest. That's Deb is calling in from Montreal. She has got some goodies for you. And we'll merge into the Boston Legal News of the Week. And we'll hear from you via email and your phone calls. All right. As always, storyline by storyline. Denise defending Dr. Glauberman for performing some unorthodox cosmetic surgery. Uh, Alan's night terrors and his quest to find someone to sleep with him. 
<laughs> Always. <laughs> in this in this case, it's in a different context, though. Oh, okay. um, Shirley, Denny, and Paul representing Jason Matheny, accused of running over an old man. And lastly, Denny gets tested for Alzheimer's. We'll always, as always, conclude with my review of Ask That Jungle, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. The episode was directed by Ron Underwood, written by Janet Leahy and Fief Sutton, and edited by Phil Neal, whom we had an interview with uh, last week. And there's actually a new interview just came out this week with Phil Neal. Everybody's jumping on Phil Neal with an interview. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can go the we'll talk about that in a second, but it's on the website. You can link to it. And it's very interesting. Well, let's start out with the storyline. As you just said, the Asphalt Jungle, Dr. Glaberman. And let's start with the soundbite to kind of set it up. Right now we're going to hear from two wonderful ladies <laughs> who, who now think they have a good case to um, bring against their cosmetic surgeon. And they're meeting with Denise. Ass fat. Pardon? Tori, let me. She gets upset. Okay, Tori and I have been friends since I won't even tell you how long. So when we decided to have our lips done... We had our lips done. We did our research and we found the best lip man in Boston. Reputed to be the best. You see, he doesn't use collagen. Doesn't use collagen. Instead, Instead he sticks a hollow needle into you. You know, back there. And he removes a sample of fat from the buttocks. Lasts longer than collagen. Oh, totally natural. He then injects it into the lips, making them youthful and lovely. Very hygienic. And it was all good and fine until one day last week we got a call. We got a call from his physician's assistant. She was present at all of the procedures. Not attractive. Not happy. And she told us that our doctor... Oh, God. ...has been injecting his own ass fat into women's lips. His... Own. Yes. We want to sue Dr. Glaberman. For fraud. Or malpractice. Or something. I have the man's ass in my face. Did you say Dr. Glauberman? Dr. Barry Glauberman? She's had work, I told you. Hmm. Dr. Glauberman is a client at this firm. We structured his corporation, among other things, so we can't represent you in any action against him. <laughs> well, that's stupid. In fact, if you do sue him, I'll be the one he calls. I can't represent you. Actually, she represents Globerman, actually, right? Yeah, she does, but then she threatens to sue him. Yeah, because, well, they were half right. She has had work done, but it was for what? Chickenpox scars. Chickenpox scars, yeah. She gets Barry Globerman in her office. She talks to him, and uh, he denies it. He denies it at first, because, you know. It's a natural reaction. Plausible deniability. Yeah. <laughs> I want to say it. He has to be able to get up in the stand and say no. But is it um, Helen? Helen Gershon, which is, which is his nurse, that yeah. that, yeah. that uh, was the whistleblower, yeah. uh, says that, you know, hold on, I was there. And, and he's like, continues to deny it. And of course, she says, I can prove it. Denise goes, you can prove it. Do DNA on him. Do a DNA on him. Do it on the lips. You'll see a match. Won't she, Barry? He's like, isn't that unconstitutional or something? Yeah. <laughs> no, sorry. No. Do we uh, have a settlement in the books? Yeah. They yeah. get a free lifetime plastic surgery of transplanted ass fat <laughs> maybe not ass fat maybe their own ass fat but i don't know i think he's Hopefully. going straight i think now. i'll watch him next time <laughs> could be something really cool like uh what do they do it's like the intestines of the sheep or something i don't know what is it's like some unusual weird thing yeah they use a lot of weird stuff yeah. in procedures interesting thing okay um i don't know if they have said the full name tori uh, one of the ladies was tori pines that's her full name and I used Sounds to like a golf course. It does. Well, and it probably is. I actually, in, when I lived in Southern California, it's a, it's a state park, a California state reserve near San Diego, Torrey Pines. So I thought that was kind of cool that, you know, I, I always wonder how they pick character names for shows. Well, they, they pick it from a state reserve in this case, <laughs> <laughs> right on the beach. By the way, a nude beach, if I might oh, say okay. so. So I'm actually, if you go to the episode page on the website, you can click 
<laughs> under the did you know trivia part of, of the episode page. And it takes you to, you know, the website that the California State Department of Reserves, I guess, put up about Tory Pines, but then also takes you to Black Speech, and you can see nudity right there. Oh, boy. Yeah. It's not We're advertising pornography now. Not attractive nudity, though, I'll tell you. This is natural. <laughs> as fat. As fat, exactly. Globerman would fit right in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, and speaking of Barry Globerman, he is, oh, a veteran. I mean, did he not look familiar to you? Yeah, I mean, he's one of those actors that you see. I, I know when I saw him tonight, I've seen him a million times before, but you can't quite place him. Richard Riley, and he's done, I think I've counted 70 TV shows, 116 movies, but the, the TV shows that I thought were of interest <laughs> were Enterprise, you know, it's okay, a Star Trek thing. He was in Star Trek Voyager, playing Seamus Driscoll. He was in The Practice, he was in Ally McBeal, he was in Chicago Hope, L.A. Law, which of course are all David E. Kelly shows. He's a veteran. Yeah, and I guess he was a regular on Married to the Kellys, which I may have missed if I took a long nap I guess it was on. <laughs> but the, the one film that I laughed at because I you know I had to get this one from Netflix a while ago the fluffer he was in the fluffer that's it's like an adult porn movie about the adult it wasn't a porn movie itself but it was the, okay subject matter yeah we'll just we have a strong <laughs> nudity porn asset vibe going on this this podcast yeah and i can't say that word but i can talk about black speech <laughs> oh man well that pretty much wraps up that that self-titled i guess segment yeah but what should we talk about next alan's night terrors night terrors what we call it night terrors is that official i mean it's like bad I dreams i didn't do any research on it okay you didn't no okay well, I think Alan must have because well we'll hear later we have a caller that says that um well we'll hear it later but that he portrayed it very well. Denny thought it was just regular old nightmares. He didn't obviously Denny wouldn't understand something as complex as night terrors but nightmares and sleepwalking mixed. Right. Yeah, and but... needing someone to sleep next to him not to so we won't end up jumping off his balcony. <laughs> which is how it started, right? The whole yeah. episode started which we don't have a soundbite for that but they're actually just sitting in his office in a very cute pose. I like that they just both Feet propped up, drinking their scotch inside. It must be too cold in Boston to be out on the balcony, I guess. Right. Denny goes, night terrors. And Alan says, I haven't had them in years. Usually it's about, it's brought on by distressed. Maybe it's my breakup with Tara. Yeah, so we're seeing more repercussions of that. Yeah, that's true. He actually just missed, you know, mentions it. But of course, Denny doesn't follow it up with any kind remarks about Tara. He just uh, says, Well, and in a previous episode, too, Alan had mentioned he missed Tara next to him in his bed. So this is the follow through to that. Well, let's hear, um, a little soundbite of of how <laughs> Alan decides he's going to solve this, or at least temporarily solve the night terrors problem, because he feels like all he needs to do is just to have someone nearby. And of course, the someone nearby that looks he first went to Denny. Denny's like, I hate to tell, break this to you, but I'm homophobic. Really, <laughs> breaking news. <laughs> so Alan turns the next one at hand. Would you like to earn some extra money, Melissa? Ah, uh, how? I have a condition. It's called night terrors. During the deepest levels of non-REM sleep, I hear voices, terrifying voices. And sometimes I run. Since I'm sound asleep when I'm running, this puts me in significant physical danger. Uh-huh. I need somebody to guard me at night. When you say guard... 
I need you to lie in the bed with me should I get up to run outside. Stop me. How stupid do you think I am? So you'll think about it. <laughs> I like how I could just barely get out the word lie in the bed next to me. He's kind of like wavering around. He knows he's on thin ice. Well, he's, he's trying to avoid a slap in the face, I think. <laughs> yeah. She actually acquiesces. She didn't at the moment. You know, you'll think about it. But she does come in later. Well, she's strapped for cash, so she comes in with a, a contract, a very strict contract as to what he is allowed and not allowed to do. <laughs> And in fact, what was the wording that she uses? Is like, I'll prevent you from wigging out or something like wigging that. Wigging out. I don't believe that that's legal language. Hold up in court. Well, but it's Xeroxable. Yes. Partner windows. Partner windows. <laughs> so she has a plan. She's, she's a woman with a plan. She's very savvy. And yes, she is. I'm going to interject right here that she's played by Marissa Coughlin, I believe it is. Coughlin, and yeah. Coughlin. And there's a really brief interview, I mean, just a few sentences that um, E! Online posted on their website with her. And let me just summarize because... And it's maybe it's not really spoiler-esque. I mean, she's just sort of speculating, but uh, and it's also linked to at boston-legal.org. She hinted that uh, her icy attitude toward Alan, I'm quoting here, isn't going to last long. She says, "I became quite smitten with Alan because he's so bright, and he has come. He's come to my rescue because later on, I think she needs his help. I think we've got a little taste of that in this episode when she is, like you said, struggling financially a little yeah. bit." She wants that. <laughs> she wants that bedroom set in the catalog for it's not crate and barrel. It's like crate and crate. I don't know. Something <laughs> so she goes on to say, at this point, I'm not quite sure if it's going to go further, but it's definitely a possibility. She says, I started with three episodes, and then I did a few more, and now I think it's kind of it kind of depends. They're trying to figure out where they can go with my character. I could go back as a love interest or not. So Expect from three to five. She's lasting longer than can Betty White lasted, I think. And longer than Nora as well. Yeah, oh yeah, Nora's one episode girl. <laughs> That's right. She's working as she's working in someone else's office, I think. Maybe Blinkies. <laughs> Blinkies. <laughs> well, we have another sound bite from this storyline. Why don't you set it up where where we are when we hear this? We are sitting in Alan's bedroom and Alan is sitting on his bed and Melissa has chosen some interesting nightwear for her little sleep over with Alan, and Alan makes a little comment about it. Do not grab the afflicted. Do not chase the afflicted. I'm the afflicted. You think? Use soothing tones. Say the afflicted's name gently. Use comforting phrases such as, come back to bed. You are safe. Everything is all right. I am here. So how long have you had these um, episodes? Are they... You know, bad. Have you ever read Orunoko by Alfred Bain? No. Neither have I. La-dee-da. By the way, Melissa, as immune as you are to any sexual advances on my part, I have had the occasional fantasy about the Michelin Man. Of course, she was wearing a jacket that made her look like a little white tire Michelin man. Who was is one of those down jackets off white and very huge. bumpy. <laughs> she's, of course, you know, it worked perfectly because she's like glares at him and jumps out of bed and removes it, you know, and she, now she's like looks Offended. very nice actually in her sweats. I've never seen anybody look so nice in her sweats. Jumps back in. But, you know, he just turns back to his Orinoco by Alfred Bain. <laughs> That was interesting, the book. I mean, everybody's interested in that book. They're writing, like, what was the name of the book? What's it about? 
I have a friend that watches it on the East Coast and will email me or IM me with, with dialogue it, three hours ahead of me. So, you know, I get my spoilers as soon as I possibly can. <laughs> and when it got to the that scene with the book, she goes, my God, I have reading assignment. I have to read this book by Thursday. Do you think this is an omen? You know? <laughs> and I guess, you know, it, it was a, a dreadfully boring book. Yeah. And, um, it was written in the 17th century. There you go. No nar- no dialogue, no narrative. It's just like... It's about a slave. What do you know about this book? Uh, I, I looked at a look to see if there was anything like to parallel the episode uh, that, that was about. There was really nothing. It's also called The Royal Slave. Uh-huh. And it's just like a little memoir type thing about okay. an African prince turned into a slave. It ends oh. tragically. But I couldn't really find anything that paralleled the episode. So it maybe it's just one of the writer's favorite books or something. Anomaly. Well, you know, maybe he was actually using it to try and put him to sleep. <laughs> yeah, because it's so... You know, boring. Exactly. Well, actually, the next morning they wake up. I should. We should just wrap that up. And uh, he wakes up perfectly rested, very happy, has a smug little look on his face, just like really a sweet look, actually. And uh, he looks at her and he gives her a pat and he says, okay, good work. You can go. <laughs> she looks a little perplexed. I think she was expecting something strange to happen. She even told him she had warned friends where she was if anything happened to her. That's right. So to wake up the next morning without a scratch or, or a touch was or a, a touch. surprise. Yeah. <laughs> The dramatic, you know, climax of the episode was Alan. Another another episode of Night Terrors for Alan. This time she's there. So um, using the, those little papers she, we heard her reading earlier, she uses soothing phrases. And even though she panics a little bit, she does get him to come back to bed and go back to sleep. And, and you know, in all likelihood, probably saved his life. So Alan's very grateful to her. And when she does, actually, the last scene we see with the two of them, she goes back and says, I won't. I will no longer be sleeping with you. It's just too much of a responsibility to be yeah. responsible for your life. Yeah, well, she did a good job, but like, yeah, she it's probably too much of a burden for her, especially someone that she works for and yeah. doesn't have a relationship with other than a co-worker relationship. There's a lot of liability there, right? Yeah, well, that's why at the end of the episode when Alan goes to Denny, Denny's willing to oblige because, one, Denny is ignorant of the situation, and two, Denny and Alan have... OTP bond. OTP bond. <laughs> I don't know, but he's going to tie a rope around his waist. <laughs> and another one <laughs> on Alan. It's like, wow, that's great. Of course, Denny won't wake up under any circumstances, of course. No. Denny like, sleeps. He hibernates. He, sleep. he hibernates. <laughs> you know, he's not over. He wasn't cured like he was of clowns. I mean, there's going to be no. perhaps other encounters. If he doesn't get a girlfriend soon or deal with his suppressed, he snarks his way out of every kind of emotional trauma that he goes through and he doesn't ever address it. Right. Well, it's just building up. He needs to let off some steam, I think. The serious storyline, I think, the one that was the heart-touching, a few people mentioned that they shed a tear or two during the storyline, is the storyline with uh, Jason Matheny, Shirley, Paul is in there, and the Alzheimer's patient, the woman that has to testify against uh, the client that has come to Crane Pool and Schmidt and Shirley to um, get off of a hit-and-run situation. And we learn a little bit more, a backstory for Shirley and Denny, don't we? Well, let's start out with a soundbite. This is between Shirley and Paul and Denny. Shirley's talking to Paul about her concerns about this case, and we get a little bit of a reveal. You met with the woman, Shirley, certainly. I don't want to do it. It's that simple. No, it is not that simple. We have an obligation as attorneys. Oh, spare me the speech, Paul, would you please? Well, evidently, you need the speech. Like it or not, this job gets dirty from time to time. What the hell is going on here? It's just... 
preying on somebody with Alzheimer's when obviously I'm a little sensitive given... Given what? I say if a woman's brain is turned to oatmeal, let's throw in some raisins and have her for breakfast. <laughs> what? You think you have to handle me with kid gloves, Shirley? This case has nothing to do with you, Denny. Don't lie to me. Would you excuse us for a second, Paul? I know how terrified you are. I'm afraid of nothing. Denny, whether or not you have some mild form of Alzheimer's, and maybe you don't, there is no denying you are denying. You walk around saying you have mad cow disease. God forbid people think you have Alzheimer's. It took your father. You're afraid it'll take you. You don't know me, Shirley. Hell, I don't even know. Have you talked to Alan about this? Why should I? Because he's your best friend. Aw, best friends. Someone outside of the relationship recognizing it. Oh, that is sweet. Very. But it is touching that we now know that Denny's father passed away from Alzheimer's. Yeah, now we know why he's mad cow. Mad cow. Has to be mad cow. And remember in season eight, the practice when after skeet shooting with Alan, Denny and Alan went into the the bar. Alan said, you know, basically, you don't remember me, Dad. Remember, he was kind of toying with him that, you yeah, know, he was he his was dad. And Alan admitted that he had someone close to him die of Alzheimer's. So it was like, wow, I guess it's everywhere. It is, apparently. It's, wonder who of the writers has someone who has Alzheimer's in their family. I would just... Uh, it would have to be someone. The actual case is not about Alzheimer's. The actual case is about a a 16-year-old who was driving a car, hit an old man, killed him. And drove off. And drove off. And it was, I think there were two witnesses. Uh, one of them didn't identify the person, though, just the car. No, just saw the car and the license plate number, but didn't see the driver. Yeah. Lydia, the woman who is in a assisted living place, is the one that did see the person. Sure, she saw it, but she is in and out of sort of that Alzheimer-induced um, mental confusion. Right. They said I think she had stage four, so stage four Alzheimer's was wow. kind of dementia or something like that. Wow. So it was severe. It wasn't, you know, like like Shirley said, potentially a mild case with Denny. This was right. serious diagnosed Alzheimer's. And we see a very moving scene that where she is in, she seems to be totally on on top of everything with Shirley. They're having sort of like a a little chat, just the first interview, and. Then she she gets distressed over not being able to have her apple juice versus orange juice, and then we see the sadness of it. And she looks so so confused. It's very touching. Yeah. And it just kills Shirley because she knows she's going to have to probably use that against her in court, and she does. She's Schmidt. She yeah. does what she does. Yeah, and it also hits close to home for her though because of the what we see at the end of the episode. And why don't you share that? We because we don't have any more sound bites, so just tell what the uh, final moments are with Shirley. We see Shirley going to, I guess it was another assisted living center or some sort of a nursing home or something where she goes and visits her father, who presumably is also, you know, diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And um, it's revealed that she goes and reads to him every night and has a stack of books, probably his favorite book, that she chooses from to read from him, to read to him. And that's probably why throughout this whole episode, she was reluctant to attack Lydia with her one weakness, which was Alzheimer's, because she has such a, a background with it, mm-hmm. and which is another reason why when Denny came in and said, you know, this is about me, I have Alzheimer's, 
Shirley mentioned that it has nothing to do with him. And the reason she was so reluctant to you know, go at Lydia for her Alzheimer's was the fact that her father had it. It just felt wrong for her to do that to a kind old woman like that. And another literary reference, too, she was reading to them. What was she reading from? A Tale of Two Cities. A Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times, the worst of times, which mirror obviously that famous first two lines just mirrors what was going on in the emotional part of the storylines. So. Right. A couple of the actors that came on, well, actually just about every actor in this storyline had a connection and has been on David E. Kelly shows before. Well, he has so many shows. <laughs> he does. He's had a lot of shows. I mean, shows. chances are, if you bring a new actor on, he's been on, they've been on one of them. Uh, the, de- the guy that played the dad, Edward Edwards. He played Ronald Matheny, and he was actually just on this season uh, on Commander-in-Chief, the lead-in, <laughs> in episode two. And he was on Desperate Housewives. and But he's also been on Doogie Howser and L.A. Law, both David E. Kelly shows. But, uh, wow, he was in Nowhere Man, which I know you don't remember because we, we've talked about this. Uh, someone else was in Nowhere Man. It's like one of my favorite cult TV shows from the yeah. 80s. Before my time. Yeah. And then, you know, his that's Edward Edwards. And it was the DA played by Stacey Edwards. And I thought, well, are they married? So I had to go look that up. You know, it'd be cool. Um, she's been on L.A. Law, too, Chicago Hope. Maybe they met on one of the sets, but now she, she is married to an Eddie, but it's a different Eddie. <laughs> so A lot of Ed. And then, of course, let's just talk about the character of uh, Lydia. She was played by Alice Drummond. She's been in 49 movies. It just goes on and on and on and on. And, but she, a long time ago, Dark Shadows, she was in that old TV soap opera. It's pretty neat. Wow. And then Jim Lau, who played her assistant, Toke. Oak. He's been actually just recently on The Practice. He was in the last uh, season of The Practice um, in The Chosen, which is the episode two, back in October 03. Another interesting connection. That was a good storyline. Um, I know we're charging through this, but let's move to a little side, sort of like the amusing side trip, field trip. We actually left the set. Not really, probably. No. But Denny went to be tested for whatever is afflicting him. Not alone, though. Not alone? Who was accompanying him? Alan, of course. Who else? Was it a deal they set up? Well, Denny went to ask him, and uh, Alan, I don't think, realized at first what he was asking him to do. At first, he pretty much refused, but then he realized that Denny really did need Alan there to be with him. So, yeah, he went with him. And the deal was that Alan would actually have his night terrors looked into as well. Right, but then Alan, of course, tricks him. No, Alan reneged on his deal. Well, I mean... Alan just basically said that to get him to go get tested because yeah. Alan knew that there's nothing nothing that test could show that would help him with his night terrors or his yeah. uh, fear of clowns. So <laughs> he's just, just being a good friend. He was. And that's great. That's what best friends OTPs do for each other. Yes. Let's hear a little sound bite of that whole scene where Denny goes in um, and they're both in their their hospital gowns looking with their bare legs hanging out. And... Uh, you know, even Alan. Alan went ahead and get undressed, put on the gown, even though he's not going to do anything. But he's in the room with the MRI machine. These are those huge machines that you lie down and you kind of like go in under this big round sort of thing. Magnet. Magnet. It is a magnet. And which might explain what you will probably only hear in this episode, but it's probably just the most laugh out loud funny highlights <laughs> of the whole show. Uh, and without further ado. You'll hear a knocking sound while we're taking the images. Main thing is, remain as still as possible. Why couldn't Alan have gone first? I'm right over here, Denny. Okay, still as possible, sir. You doing okay? Fine. Here we go. Still. Maybe I should have removed 
stop that for a second because we'll, we'll continue on with the scene but his uh, watch of course is has a magnet or is you know metal yeah so his arm goes to the magnet flying up against the mri machine it looks very dangerous actually <laughs> it does for unknown reasons they have metal folding chairs in this examination room of course which... it did seem a little far-fetched for, for a place that does mris probably pretty regularly you think they'd figure out that you shouldn't have metal in the room that's right but the chair that's sitting empty right next to Alan, sitting in his other metal chair, goes flying across the room and slams into the MRI. Is stuck on there, and the look on Alan's face, you know. Thankfully, Alan's happy enough to keep his chair down. Otherwise, he would have been flying across the room too. He would have been. <laughs> I had to go frame by frame on that one. I just had to see this thing, you know, a special effect. Wow, it was a special. Nicely effect. done. <laughs> I also like. Let me just say, you know, some of these things, little effects that they do on the show that you don't notice when you're just watching it but when you kind of go slower you just listen to it did you hear when the technician was saying okay you're doing okay in there and it went to more of a from denny crane's point of view being under that thing you could hear it sort of a tinny sound as opposed yeah, to his just voice a, is a little yeah like like, said, tinny. like you know like when we had larry king and they were last week and they were right, talking like on, on the, the television yeah. yeah you just accept that but when you're listening to it just in audio you go like oh that's cool just little yeah. little you know flavors like that the whole crew does a nice job on the show they do Okay, um, let's continue with that scene after they've kind of re reconvened and they're talking about the tests with the technician. Your glutamate levels are about the same. So is the evidence of plaque. But nothing's got worse. I don't believe so. You do show precursors. So it's important that you continue to exercise your brain, different areas of the brain. Try writing with your other hand, do the crosswords. Is it possible I have mad calf disease? We can't rule it out. They do have some identical symptoms. There could be countless numbers of people we've diagnosed with Alzheimer's who really have mad cow disease. See? Do him now. I'm afraid a PET scan isn't going to tell us why he's afraid of clowns. <laughs> what about the night terrors? He had one last night. Again. That's okay. I can come back later after a few hamburgers. <laughs> you promised you'd get tested too. Denny, those machines can't test for the stuff I've got going on. You tricked me. Hey, Denny. You haven't gotten worse. Aw. He's going to have a few hamburgers for him. Diddy's so happy. and Wow, the technician actually gives credence to his his delusion you know, that he has mad cow. It came out of a court case where they said that mad cow has similar symptoms to Alzheimer's, which is why he started right. claiming he had mad cow. That's right. There was, there was basis for that reasoning. Yeah. I liked Alan, too. These machines can't test for what I've got going on. He does have some pretty messed up stuff going on in his head. He does. The, psych- the next visit is the psychologist. Yeah. yeah. He, needs, he needs serious therapy. <laughs> or Tara back. You know, I wonder if that's going to happen. I doubt it. She wasn't on Nip Tuck last night, man. They haven't she was, had her on for a, Was not. I haven't had her on for quite a while, so I don't know. Maybe what that's a sign. Yeah, let's keep our fingers crossed. All right. Okay, well, that concludes at least our little journey outside the... The offices of Crane, Pool, and Schmidt and the courtroom to the doctor's office. Second time Denny's been to the doctor, by the way. He was, last season he went to the doctor. <laughs> and we always have to end up with the balcony scene. And this is Denny, of course, and Alan recapping their experiences together and addressing what perhaps they could do next. Someone. It is a fright. I tried that night terror routine on six different women. No takers? 
is right. Thanks for coming with me today. Thanks for making me do it. I've always felt friends should encourage friends to have their heads examined. You okay? Melissa quit her moonlighting job. You're really scared. Just concerned. Not to worry. Oh, all right. I'll sleep with you in your room, but not in the bed. <laughs> you sleep like a log. I'd have to step on your head for you to stir. Tie a rope around me. You mean it? It'll be like a sleepover. Friends have sleepovers. We could watch a movie. Popcorn. Root beer floats. Tell ghost stories. Talk about girls. Yeah. Pretend we're kids. Pretend we're kids. When are they not pretending they're kids? Oh, uh, I'm just going to mention that. <laughs> oh, sorry about they're that. They're not two of the most mature lawyers <laughs> in Boston. But, you know, they already know. If they could put something in the right framework, be it the sleepover, like kids or mad cow, it doesn't, and then everything, anything is palatable at that point. I do have to mention, I got an email from, uh, well, the person that was on our show last week who talked about her interview with Bill Neal. That was Diana Mayoko. And she's, she's a big fan of uh, moonlighting. Might I add that if anybody read last Sunday's New York Times, she was in the New York Times magazine supplement section, a story about her and her work with the moonlighting DVDs that she worked on getting out and is actually on the special features uh, section of that. So anyway, if you dig up last week's uh, Sunday's New York Times, you can read about her. But anyway, she emailed me and said that uh, she saw some interesting parallels with Moonlighting in that last scene and Boston Legal. She likes to keep her eyes out for that. And for one thing, Spader said Moonlighting. He said the word Moonlighting. And the obvious mention of the name of the show. (laughs) (laughs) And then, of course, the song Someone to Watch Over Me was playing in the background was used very famously in one of the Moonlighting episodes with Linda Ronstadt singing that version. And then Phil Neal, the editor, edited both that episode of Moonlighting with Someone to Watch Over Me and edited this episode with Someone to Watch Over Me. We already know, if you listen to last week's discussion, that Phil has some input on the music that's used and actually the, the versions of the music that's used. So that was kind of an interesting, well, we'll just call it a parallel, you know, whether must, it is or not. Must be one of his favorite songs. We'll, we'll get to that song actually a little bit later with an email because I had about three emails from people, tell me who does that song. Tell me which version of song <laughs> that is. So we'll, I we'll, can imagine. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get to that. If you guys hang out to the very end right after the Boston Legal News, we'll, we'll tell you someone had the answer. Well... That concludes the actual breakdown and sound bites from the episode of the title. Asphalt Jungle. But now it's time for what? It is time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Take it away, Kyle. All right. For Asphalt Jungle, the eighth episode of season two, the good. The first thing, Melissa did a very kind thing for Alan in this episode. And even if she did it for the money at first, she did save his life, which is more than Alan should probably ask of this system. The next thing. Also, I'd like to mention, also involving Alan, but this time, not Alan, Melissa, Alan and Denny. OTP, great development between Denny and Alan as far as their best friendship is concerned, especially the balcony scene where they agree to have a sleepover. And the fact that Shirley, like you said, acknowledged it. Yeah, she did. Mm-hmm. So, And even though Shirley has such a long background with Denny, as does Paul, mm-hmm. it, she recognizes that there's a special bond, bond between Denny and Alan. Um, and last thing... I'd like to mention was Shirley is very sweet with her father. So much for that draconian image she's 
conjured up for herself this whole time at Great Punishment because she's a very, very sweet woman deep down. I like that draconian. Well, that's what Brad called her. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I, had to, I had to bring that up again. I oh, think boy. it's a very good way to describe her sometimes. When Sally was the, leaving, yep. Yeah. yeah, especially in the courtroom this week. She was, again, very draconian. <laughs> uh, moving on to the bad. Denise, I doubt it's good legal policy to threaten to sue someone you're representing in court. I just thought I'd mention that. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> next is um, Melissa, strapped for cash, and too proud to admit it, good thing Alan is always there for odd jobs. An <laughs> <laughs> um, odd yeah. emphasis on the odd. Yes, definitely odd. Odd in quotes. Will Denny ever come to grips with his Alzheimer's? We did get a nice little tidbit of his backstory, though, with his father, the fact that his father was claimed by the disease. So that that may uh, you know clarify a little bit more as to why it's always been such a big issue with him. And the last thing in the bad was a uh, 16-year-old kid who ran over the old man. While he was admissive of guilt, he, at least behind closed doors, he didn't seem too remorseful, and I think he gives teenagers who drive everywhere a bad name. Mm-hmm. Well, um, wait, I have one thing, one thing to add. The ug- uh, ugly or the bad, wherever you want to put it. So three seconds of Brad Chase? Oh, boy. Huh. I would go with bad on that. Okay. All right. Thank you. That's, that's definitely not a good thing. You got a couple lines in there. I swear, every time I think about this, I'm going to make a a video of, you know, the 14 seconds of Brad. I'm, I'm going to do this. You know, I'm going to like, it's all going to be the back of his head while he talks to someone else. <laughs> you should, at the end of the season, just compile all of it. Or, or you could do like little fractions, like in this episode, which was, 51 minutes long. Brad was in, you know, two minutes and 13 seconds of it. I did. Well, you know, I already have a drinking game. <laughs> you know, I drink every time I see him and I never get drunk. So, Oh, that's really sad. He's not on enough. Oh. Uh, well, anyway, next next week, gone or whenever gone is on. It's going to be like all Brad all the time. Hopefully. <laughs> and moving on to the last section, the ugly. Um, Asphat from the uh, Dr. Barry Klapperman, the I, I typed here horizontally gifted doctor because I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to make fun of anyone who is obese or you know overweight or whatever the PC term is. These horizontally days. gifted? Yes, horizontally gifted. You mean he sort of spreads out horizontally? Is that? Yeah, he's, he's a little <laughs> Santa Clausy. Oh, <laughs> oh, that is great. I try and be delicate with these things. You're so respectful. <laughs> and um, he was removing his his fat from his buttocks and, and putting it into people's lips. That's definitely one of the ugliest things we've seen on this show. Even no, it doesn't surpass the whole cow is lover thing. That's know. probably true. <laughs> that was pretty ugly. <laughs> um, well, and they were willing to do it with their own fat, you know? They so. were, but they, well, and then his justification of it, though, was that his fat's the good stuff. And if, his, I mean, people were coming to him because they saw work on other people and that work on other people was is fat, so mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I, I still strongly believe it's ugly, but he did have a point. Open up your mind, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I wouldn't want his ass fat in my lips. Okay. Um, and the last thing under the ugly would be um, Shirley practically browbeating that that poor old woman, Lydia. I know it's her job, and I know she really wasn't doing it be- for any reason besides the fact that you know, that's her job. And she wants to do her job to the best of her ability, but still, it was a little, I don't know. When she was going at her in court, it 
it did made me wince a little bit. And that is the good, the bad, and the ugly. I wonder if Lydia will um, remember that episode after a few days. You know, I don't know. Maybe it with... seemed pretty traumatic. Yeah. And she said she remembered traumatic experiences like the hit and run. Well, thank you very much. That was excellent. Good, bad, and the ugly. All right. Thank you. Putting it together. And coming up on December 6th will be the next episode, the ninth episode of the season, entitled Gone. And you have a little soundbite for that? I do. Next on Boston Legal. I realize you're a powerful man, sir, but that doesn't give you the right to shoot homeless people. You shot this man. That happens. My lawyer dropped me. Nobody's going to make any money suing Danny Craig. I'll represent you. Is this a joke? Of course it is. No, it isn't. I'll be your lawyer. I'm confused. I hear you have a friend at the FBI. I do. I never saw you take that badge. Are you suggesting that we impersonate FBI officials? Have you both lost your minds? We are lawyers. We sue people. We do not abduct. Oh, man. Well, you know, let's just say that that... The fact that the gun is pulled now in Denny's hand is it's a paintball gun. It's not a real gun. It's not a musket. It's not a skeet shooting gun. It's a pa- in which we all know, right? William Shatner is a paintball enthusiast. He loves to play it. William Shatner is a great guy. He has some pretty strange interests, though. He does. No, well, not, I don't think that's strange. Have you ever played paintball? I have. I'm not, I don't guess strange is the best word, but it's definitely unique for a man of his age. Yeah, that's right. I love it. I saw it was like uh, VH1's best of some year, 92, I think, actually. They had him running around in the woods with his paintball gun. I guess that was a big year for him. I don't know. And our Ed Mark Valley is a paintball guy. Yeah. yeah well. And in the speaking of that, the Brad episode, you know, what we just kind of heard a little bit of, but you couldn't quite make it out, is is Brad and Denise go undercover and, and try and nail a guy that's kidnapped. The second time he's going to impersonate an FBI. Oh, yeah. Or rather, maybe not. The first time really wasn't. Technically, an impersonation was it, but uh, second time he's going to be a FBI, and he's going to get in trouble with this. And and we see in the and everybody can go watch the preview video clip at boston-legal.org. He uh, he slams a guy against the wall, you know, like he's it's the suspect. Um, another point, he's taking an axe and breaking down a door in a church. So it's like some muscles are being used. Dana like I Dana like. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so again, that's December sixth. Well, we have a special guest with us right now on the phone. This is um, our usual break where we talk about the parallel universe Trek in the courtroom, the similarities of the ep- any episode. It doesn't have to just be the Star Trek original series that William Shatner was in because, you know, we're talking about Rene Opajouan, who is also from another rendition of Star Trek. So just any Star Trek references that get, you know, folded into Boston Legal, vice versa. We have our resident expert, Deb from Montreal. And she's here to tell us about how Asphat Jungle, oh, I said it, has similarities. <laughs> so thank you very much, Deb, for joining us. You are our intrepid correspondent. Hi, Dana. I like that, intrepid. Well, you are more than intrepid. You are, I guess I would call it the anthropological comparative uh, detective we have between Boston Legal the and The cards Star are being Trek. printed now. I know. <laughs> the letterhead's coming. Well, we just finished watching the episode Asphat Jungle. And not long after it finished, you started writing me with the comparisons. There were jumping out at me left, right, and center. I didn't even know where to start. <laughs> well, let's start with the ending of Asphat Jungle. As you remember, we had a theme of, of Alzheimer's being addressed because not only, you know, Denny has his mad cow disease. Shirley was cross-examining 
a witness to a hit and run case who has Alzheimer's. And then we now, well, I'll let you pick up the story. Yeah, and in the final scene, she visits her own father, who is in an extended care facility, and it looks uh, that he also has Alzheimer's because he doesn't have any recognition of her. And he, you know, she she brushes away his hair, and then she quotes from his favorite book, which was The Tale of Two Cities. Very sweet scene. And the opening line of that book is, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It is the same line that is uh, Kirk reads to Spock, and I believe I mentioned that it was oh, The Voyage Home. The Voyage Home, the movie? I think so. Okay. It was one of the early Czech movies with the original series, and Spock had given Kirk The Tale of Two Cities for his birthday. Well, let's hear direct from the horse's mouth, I suppose. Thank you for sending this to me. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Message, Spock? None that I'm conscious of. Except, of course, happy birthday. Surely the best of times. Aw, that, that is... Not, and those are exactly the words, of course, that Shirley Schmidt read to her father, like you said. That's right. Well, what shall we read tonight? How about A Tale of Two Cities? I haven't read that one in a while. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was a shocking ending. It was. And because that's a metaphor, really, for mm-hmm. when you have Alzheimer's, there are good days and there are bad days. And at the end of the scene, when you actually see Shirley's father, it was so reminiscent of uh, McCoy's father when, when they revisit you know, his death scene in Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. It was surprising to me, you know, how similar these two men looked in their final days. Shirley's father, McCoy's father. Well, now, this is a running theme in this that you actually entitled your sort of thesis on this episode, the comparisons, was the youth versus the age theme. And it doesn't end with just the age of Shirley's father. But the youth, in the same case that Shirley was trying, the youth, the teenager that guilty or not, you know, had performed the hit and run. Now, why don't you, let's talk about that. Tell me what you saw that was very similar to Star Trek. Well, I would, I would call these visual comparisons because if you looked at an episode called Charlie X in the original series, the uh, um, actor that played the uh, teenage boy, uh, Robert Walker Jr., almost looks like the twin brother of Jason Messini, who was played by Lucas Grabeel in Boston Legal. Incredibly. So I'm looking at a side-by-side comparison, which will be available at boston-legal.org forward slash Star Trek. The two pictures that you have side-by-side, and that they're taken 30, 40 years apart, obviously do different generations. Yes. Different actors, but same same uh, facial features, same build. And even the same expression. The same expression, the same hair, and that was those pouty lips. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I, I kind of said to myself, you know, they're dead ringers. It's, is it a coincidence? Or <laughs> is it Memorex? <laughs> it's very similar. Yeah. And then, you know, um, you know, the whole theme of, um, you know, youth and, and the pursuit of youth and artificial beauty came up in Boston Legal 
with regard to the uh, two ladies who have apparently had, you know, extensive cosmetic surgery done to them. That's right. Should we actually play another little sound bite that you sent me? Where the sound bite comes from is from a, um, the movie Generations, where the uh, entire crew, uh, Picard's uh, crew uh, ship, are affected by a planet that has the same effect as the Fountain of Youth, where everybody starts feeling healthier and younger and looks perkier. Hmm. And that sound clip you're about to play comes from that movie. And these are the two women commenting on how, in fact, what is it? It's Counselor Troy. Yeah, Counselor Troy and, and Dr. Crusher. Talking about how they feel perkier. Have you noticed how your boobs have started to firm up? Not that we care about such things in this day and age. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> we don't mind having perkier boobs firming up. <laughs> As a side note, you know, uh, data repeats that in, in the elevator uh, to, uh, I think, uh, another crewman. He says exactly the same thing. About his? <laughs> no. Okay. I just wondered. His artificial ones. Yes, his artificial ones. Um, there was actually another visual comparison that you kind of pointed out. And if people could see this, they'll have to go again to the website if they want to see the side-by-side comparison. Uh, Melissa, which is Alan Shore's new secretary. And Yeoman Rand. Yes. Yes, they absolutely look as though they could be sisters as well. And it's funny because it's interesting because she's posing. I mean, she's ongoing throughout the Star Trek series. The, That's and right. anybody who's not seeing this, this is the blonde girl, young, very attractive. You know, she kind of wears her hair up really high. Grace Lee Whitney. Oh, that's her real name. Yeah. And there's a picture here where she's posed with the Charlie X kid that looks a lot like the fella in Asphalt Jungle. The other visual, which is between, and he is the doctor, the cosmetic Maximus. surgeon that was being <laughs> that was being sued by using the fat cells from his own persona to put into the lips or whatever of his patients. So that's from Boston Legal. Now the comparison is, well, there was an original series episode called Mud Women, and and it dealt with a character called Henton, uh, Harry, no Harcourt Fenton Mud, Harry Mud. And he produced these uh, women to be paired off with minors where there was only men on the planet. Mm. And he used to give them these drugs, which created the illusion of them being more beautiful than they really were. And he looks exactly like Dr. Gluberman. Dr. Gluberman was played by an uh, actor by the name of Richard Real. And when I was looking him, looking him up, lo and behold... He has appeared in Star Trek himself. <laughs> and everybody has, I guess, at one point. Now, he was in Star Trek Enterprise. That's right. And he looks, and I'm looking at a picture. We'll have a picture up on the website. Looks, of course, identical to <laughs> He's the same actor. What can I say? But then when I looked at the three women that uh, Harry Mudd in, in the original series, and you look at the two blondes and the brunette in the middle and the mm-hmm. green, you know, these very attractive, revealing clothing... It kind of reminded me of Shirley Schmidt. What? (laughs) Oh. And Rona Mitra. Oh. Well, I can see that. Shirley Schmidt is the woman in the red. This will make more sense if anybody's at the website right now and looking at the pictures. Well, if they are, they'll go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we can, I think we can draw that comparison too. And, and then of course, you know, again, running with, you know, artificial beauty, there were other episodes that also dealt with that, including the pilot episode, The Cage, you know, where uh, Vina, uh, she's depicted in many desirable states 
to hide the way she really appears, to lure Captain Pike back to the planet so that these aliens can pair them off. So so that was, uh, you know, the very first episode of Star Trek dealt with artificial beauty. Interesting. And, and, and the illusion of beauty. And then you have a reference here to where they talked about cosmetic surgery in Insurrection. Mm-hmm. What you call extreme makeover, they were... Stretching the skin of one. Yeah, of they the they animals. had a, a a device that you know kind of stretched your skin, but you know repeated episodes of this would just you know distort, become uglier and uglier. <laughs> it was just you know cosmetic surgery gone horribly wrong. Yeah, it can be if you overdo it, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know those kind of really are indicative and good examples, you know, visually to, to compare. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also touched on <laughs> workplace romance. <laughs> workplace romance my goodness <laughs> that's all Boston Legal's about <laughs> well, yes <laughs> and we uh, saw it a little bit in Star Trek in Enterprise or in um, Next Generation well we did and you know I think that you know Star Trek set a lot of firsts uh, with regard to on screen romance uh, same sex romance oh yeah uh, mention the same sex one that you found now was that a kind of a first yeah, it was probably uh, a first for Star Trek anyway on TV, but it was uh, Dax and another member of her species having a really great kiss, and uh, they're both female. And if Boston Legal uh, had that episode with Alan Shore screaming lesbians, <laughs> it would be screaming lesbians at this picture, too. It would be really funny. I know, and we'll, we'll have pictures up there on the site, a very couple versions of that kiss. It looks like they were really getting into it, the two women. And there was one final original series episode called Miri that mm. also pitted, you know, the youth against the adults. And it was the episode was called Miri. Miri was the main character, the main kid. You know, you could see that there was, you know, this struggle between the grown ups uh, who as soon as, you know, children reach puberty they would age very quickly and deteriorate very quickly and die. The makeup is very interesting from those days. Yeah, they look like young children with very old, old faces. That that yeah. one, I think, that you have in there. So definitely yeah. check out those pictures. Yeah. And then I think I sent you a clip. Yes. Of, sent you a clip. Well, this is Kirk talking to Charlie X. This is Kirk tar- talking to Charlie X. And when I hear his words, I think that he could be talking about Alan Shore. Uh, Danny talking about Alan Shore. Let's play that right now. It's a boy in a man's body trying to be an adult with the adolescent in him getting in the way. The adolescent always gets in the way between <laughs> whatever the boy or the man try and do. <laughs> it's, the, it's the most disruptive of the stages of life, I think. <laughs> yeah. So those, those were definitely some of the references, and I, I could probably think of a few more, but I would have to go and watch this. I'll remind again. you of one more. You, you thought of this at the very last minute. Back in 91, one of the Star Trek spinoffs, had a title called... Oh, right. Night Terrors. Night Terrors. It was terrors. a TNT, and it dealt with uh, lack of REM sleep. And this was caused by some sort of frequency generated by subspace, and uh, the crew was beginning to get a little weird because of lack of sleep, and uh, they would have serious bad dreams where it was actually some sort of telepathic communication. Mm-hmm. And uh, the episode was called Night Terrors, which is what Alan Shore suffered from in that episode. That was that's so coincidental as to be David E. Kelly must be a Trekkie at heart. <laughs> Actually, this one wasn't written 
by David E. Kelly. So I no, don't know. <laughs> no, no, but there could be his guiding hand in there. Yes, it could be. Or they may be just all the writers are now just sort of, this is their little, um, I don't know, Easter egg that they kind of stick in on scripts where they can is some comparison because it's, you know, one of those things they do, but don't comment on. <laughs> well, it's like the 47 theory, you know, in almost every single movie that's produced in Florida these days has a uh, specific 47 embedded somewhere. Now explain and that's this. to drive the Trekkies crazy. Yeah, no, no. What now? Anybody who doesn't know this, and I'll count myself as one of them. What, what's the deal with the forty-seven? What's the deal with the forty-seven? It was started by Brendan Braga, who was an original writer, and he started to put the number forty-seven into um, all the uh, original series episodes, either visual or audio. In the original series, so yeah. way back then. Okay, yeah. started. At the beginning. You know, 47 people are, huh. you know, beamed up from a planet. 47 people, you know, there's 47 seconds remaining until, you know, self-destructors, you know. Okay. 47 different kind of species of ants in this planet. You know, there's just 47 would come up somehow, somewhere. Sometimes they were uh, obscured. Sometimes they would be backwards 47. Uh, you know, someone would have a pork poker hand with the cards 4747. Seven. Yeah. <laughs> And then did it continue to... It continues because there was also a professor at Pomona College in California who came up with some crazy theorem that every single number equals 47. Oh. And they have this document somewhere in some vault in Pomona College. And then somebody wrote a letter to Brennan Big and said, hey, listen, we noticed that you, know, you have all these 47s in your episodes. You do that intentionally. He wrote back. He says, you're the first person who noticed. Wow. That's yeah. interesting. The first person who noticed. Yes. And that letter is actually posted on the web at the 47 Society or, from, yeah, one of those 47 sites that I had sent to you. Okay. And then it became sort of like, you know, Trekkies have like their whole, their own section of 47. But then people started noting, noticing 47 in, in a lot of different things. Bible passages, numbers of steps going up to the Washington Monument, you know. And they started just recording 47 significant events in either literature or in architecture or like that. Well, interesting. So it's gone beyond. It's, it's grown beyond. Yeah. I guess you could say the writer from the original series is a bit of a prophet. <laughs> you know, he's, he preached the gospel of 47 and now, now you can see it clearly everywhere. It could well, be you know, if, you, if, you, if people are interested, they just have to Google 47 Society and um, be you know, prepared to be completely paranoid after about, like, well, you know, because one page of it. We're all over Nostradamus. Everybody studied Nostradamus. We needed something new. <laughs> <laughs> it could have been something like that, but it became a phenomena that continues to this day. Oh. And, and, you know, you'll sit down, you'll see movies, and there'll be, you know, in your face 47s, like a train will become barreling down. You know, uh, the rails, and you'll see that it's number 47. It just pops up. Now, have you seen any 47s pop up at Boston Legal? Are you looking for Somebody them? was 47 years old. Can't remember who it was. Okay. Well, it wasn't, what, they already said Shore was 45. 44. Or 44, okay. Yeah. Denny Crane is 74. Which is 74 47. Is the backward 47. Yeah. <laughs> so, right, well. like, I can't watch the episodes now because... I firmly believe that David E. Kelly does this intentionally just to drive me personally crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it might be, make people think you're paranoid. There's that woman up in Montreal. She's <laughs> recording all these Star Trek imagined or real. So, Dana, I have to ask you, are these photos like imagined or real? Well, I would say that there's, I'm not going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a little bit of conspiracy theory in me that likes to think that they're, they're real. 
There are. I don't, I don't know if they're intentional, but somehow mm. when I see the pictures of the, the two kids together yes. and the pictures of the doctor together in one particular episode that I could pull that kind of visual reference. Yeah. And I have to go back. You have to understand, I haven't seen many of these episodes for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. So these are things that are just ingrained in my mind that just you know reminded me so strongly of the um, the comparisons that you know I have to draw to somebody's attention and you know you're willing. <laughs> wow, is there any other comparisons right now you'd like to draw from Boston Legal's Mass Fat Jungle and any Star Trek before we um, close another edition? Oh no, I'm I'm pretty sh- well. Close another edition. We won't have anything to talk about for two weeks. Oh, you know, I have to say I'm I'm a little relieved. <laughs> a break for Christmas, just in general. Yeah, exactly. But I know it's a lot of work to put the, these together. So. I love Boston Legal, but you know, you could love something a little too much. <laughs> Need a little break. I don't know. I I I think you've got the most comprehensive site that I've ever found on Boston Legal, and you know, I always check it uh, once a day to You're... see what new stuff that you oh, found. Oh, thank you. I was up about, well, I was up till three or four in the morning, you know, working on my video page. But thanks to you, now I have a lot more information to put in there, so I'm going to get hopping on that Star Trek page. Okay. Keep sending the content. Thank you so much, Deb from Montreal. You're welcome. Nice to speak with you. We look forward to the next edition of Trek in the Courtroom with our special anthropological correspondent, Deb. (laughs) I do want to remind everybody that if you are fascinated with any of these interesting parallels that we have a page on our website um if you can go right to boston-legal.org and click on star trek trek in the courtroom actually which is in the navigation or the direct address is boston-legal.org forward slash star trek and we have right up there the parallels that she just talked about for aspect on goal with pictures oh it's great with pictures let's right. see the side-by-side comparison Let's quickly cover some news of the week for Boston Legal. There's some things going on, and I'll just start out because I was very happy to see this. Um, People Magazine has an annual issue, Sexiest Man Alive or something like that. Matthew McConaughey this year, I think, wasn't it? Yes, it was. I saw it in public the other day. He's a pretty good guy. (laughs) I didn't know he makes his own face and eye creams. (laughs) Who knew? But if you flip through to page, what, 108, something like that, toward the back, they have TV sexiest lawyers. This year's TV sexiest lawyer is Mark Valley as Brad Chase. All right. Full page picture, very nice. A little quick Q and A write up, very charming. Actually, Spader was two years ago. He was the TV sexiest lawyer in that issue two years ago. If you turn the page, you can see twenty years of sexiest lawyers, and they have twenty of them. And I counted up eleven of them have been on David e. Kelly shows. <laughs> well, he's one of the few writers to do a lot of legal shows. I yeah. Guess. I mean, there aren't any more legal shows besides David E. Kelly ones. I know, (laughs) it's true. (laughs) So that was really good. Everybody uh, who can go out and grab a copy on the newsstands, it's there probably for another week. It's the November 28th issue. Uh, But you can also just go right to boston-legal.org and click and read, see a picture and read the links. And also go to mark-valley.com. That's the other site that's sort of in the works and it's up there as well. All right. Yeah, more news. Uh, We we touched on this, I think, in the last podcast, but not. there's more news regarding... Uh, James Spader being the new voice of the Acura. And there are several 30-second commercials for the new Acura automobile with uh, voiceovers that James Spader recorded. And if anyone has these, uh, go ahead and send us an audio or video of them, and we'll post it on boston-legal.org. Good. Have you seen one yet? I haven't seen one. I've been watching... Like, what channel have you seen them on? I haven't seen them. And I haven't seen them either. I've heard they're on... Uh, during, like, the evening news, you know, the 11 o'clock news. Uh-huh. 
Um, that's the person that's I've I've heard has seen them. Has said it's on. I think she saw it on uh, NBC. Okay, so yeah. if anyone's watching then and can send it to us, please do. And also more news: Boston Legal down under. It Boston Legal uh, from Scoop Sarah in Melbourne from www.seven.com.au. Tuesday, the November 29, two thousand five, Schmidt happened is going to air in Melbourne on 7 from 9.30 to 10.30 p.m. So Boston Legal went to New Zealand. Now Boston Legal is in Australia. And it's really good news. It was it started in Australia, then I think during the summer. And then, I don't know, three, four months ago, inexplicably, they pulled it. They were saying, oh, ratings aren't good. I don't know. We may, we may not bring it I've back. I've heard a lot about that from yeah. Australia. Australian television does that a lot. They are not as set as the U.S. schedule. They kind of cancel down. a show and then start it again and then cancel it and start it again. And then here it comes, you know. Well, I, <laughs> I think it's because they're more they're more responsive to viewers. Like if viewers make a outcry for a show, then I think they're more responsive and they'll put it back on the air. So maybe good. that's what happened. Good. All right. That's very good news. Thank you very much, Scoop Sarah. Yes, thank you. Oh, and then we're just going to quickly run down the schedule for Boston Legal here in the U.S. We've got, again, I'm going to say it again. We've got Gone, Episode 9, coming up on December 6th. We've got the December 13 episode called Legal Deficits. That's Episode 10. And even though they're announced and have storylines for episode uh, 11, 12, and 13, which you can see on the website, they don't have dates assigned to them. And I think because we'll be well into the Christmas holidays. Yeah, there's always a little holiday break. Yeah. Oh, speaking of dates, um, a couple birthdays coming up. Right at, I think, mid-December is Justin Mintel's Garrett Wells. Where's he Wells. been? Where's he been? Yeah. I know. Well. Sarah, I've been uh, noticeably absent. But, I mean, he'll be back. Yeah. We'll see yeah. But yeah, where's he gone? Gone. The episode gone. Gone. Oh. And um, and then uh, Mark Valley's birthday coming up on <laughs> December 24th. So a couple birthdays coming up. All right. Uh, also, The Practice Season 8 has begun already on FX. You can see it every day. I think it's like at 8 in the morning or something, but, you know, five days a week. So if you get FX and you want to catch up on the, the season 8, the last season of The Practice that... Alan Shore was introduced as a character and also Rona Meach, or I should say Tara Wilson was introduced as a character. There you go. Well, we've got a little bit of ratings news. Why don't you quickly cover that for All Ask right. Fat Jungle? For the November 15th episode, Ask Fat Jungle, Boston Legal was third in the time slot for the episode behind Law & Order SVU, which yeah. usually second. us. It was also behind the CMA Awards on CBS. You know, of course, the award show is going to draw a lot of viewers. That's it. This episode averaged 11 million viewers and a 3.4 share in the 18 to 49 demographic. And while the lead-in Commander-in-Chief is beginning to weaken, only 12.5 million viewers for Commander-in-Chief this week, which is down from its season high of 17. Um, Boston Legal was number five for the night in households, and adults 18 to 49 it was number eight. So we're doing well maintaining. I think it's just a little, in. it's a little dip. I mean, yeah, we're keeping the lead in. Yeah, we're number three, but it was a special. Yeah. And I mean, usually CBS, we're number two. Yeah, CBS is regular, regular programming on that night. It doesn't beat us. So. It'll be well it'll be interesting because now see it's not close to home anymore. It's going to be threshold, threshold yeah. and we won't know until the December well December seventh. Well, obviously, we talked about this before. A counter programming move. They're figuring the procedural close to home wasn't going to take a big chunk out of Boston Legal's audience mm-hmm. because maybe the same people are watching both those shows, and they figure threshold with the whole sci-fi vibe. Maybe that's a different audience that they can try and draw from. So maybe it won't affect Boston Legal's ratings at all. And I just keep telling everybody, don't freak out. You know, it's it's just it's on just a two week hiatus. It's not hiatus, really. I'm sorry. It's just just preempted. Yeah. It's not canceled. I can see the um, 
the searches people use to find my website and someone had written in Boston Legal canceled in a Google search and like uh, uh, no 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 it's not canceled. no 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 worries no worries and remember two Emmy winners well actually what am I saying like five or six Emmy winners you know when Definitely. you count everybody's everybody on there is like one an Emmy Mark's time will come um, also new on <laughs> BostonLegal.org Boston-Legal.org new things that we've got the full transcript of Ask Bad Jungle thank you and uh, that was done by I'm a mess. Thank you very much. I'm a mess. And I'll be adding images actually from the practice season eight, at least the first episode here in in the next day. Hopefully I already screen capped them. I just need to put them up because, you know, it's, it is a Boston legal site, but Boston legal essentially started in season eight in 2003. off the practice. Yep. That's right. I don't like to say spinoff because that, I don't know. The only good spinoff was ever Fraser. So Boston legal is its own thing. It's its own thing. That's what they want us to think. Yeah. That's what I want to think too. Yeah. This concludes our news part, but we want to hear from you if you have any interesting thoughts, of particularly storylines. I got a lot of uh, emails from people with uh, storyline ideas. That just just know that likely, if anybody of note listens to your storyline idea, they probably won't use it just for the fact that no one wants to get sued. Okay, so yeah. just know if you're giving out storylines and we talk about them, don't think you're going to get rich or you know anything like that, and it probably will kill the very idea that you hope to propose. But it's fun. Well, if you want to share. Yeah, that's my share. And I like it because I get ideas for my little um, role-playing community for stories. <laughs> so uh, you can always email us at bostonillegal at gmail.com. Please be patient. I'm like a week behind on my emails. I, I try and keep up, but I can't. Um, call us at 1-800-986-8290 if you want to maybe leave a voicemail and we'll play it here on the show. Yes, we will. So, first one, I did get a call, and let's hear what Lenny had to say. Hey, Dana and Kyle, uh, this is Lenny from Washington State. Uh, just calling to uh, tell you guys are doing a great job, and I uh, also want to uh, point out on the last episode on uh, Ask That Jungle, I could relate to uh, Alan Shore because I have night terrors, and I've, I've had the same kind of feeling that uh, Alan Shore has uh, every night. I uh, go through episodes where I uh, try to get out of my house running from voices, and so it is kind of scary, and I can totally relate to that episode. So, kind of weird seeing James Bear uh, portraying that, and which I'm going through that. So, anyways, um, it was a really good episode, and you guys are doing a terrific job, as always, and um, we'll talk to you soon. All right, bye. Wow, he actually has the Nine Terrors. Well, that's wow. the guy that said that he portrayed it very well. All right, All right we um, got a lot of emails. I wish I had more time. You know, some of these emails, if you wrote us, you may hear it in the next in the next podcast that we do because I'll save them because they're good. But one particular, I teased at the beginning. Remember when uh, when the sh- episode ended with "Someone to Watch Over Me" as the background song? Yeah. I didn't know who did that, and I, I actually, you know, I subscribe to Real Rhapsody. It's like a little, you know, it's it's. Like I radio or whatever. Right. And I, I went through, and there's like 250 versions. And I went through like 80 of them. You wow. know, any of the women singing. And I, you know, I was matching it up and I'd listen to the one from the episode and I'd listen to this one. It wasn't quite the right inflection. You know, I was like, thank goodness. And, and I got people asking me that, writing me and saying, what, who sang that? So Bob Archer, he's the vice president of Morgan Keegan and Company. It's a big, huge investment bank and firm security brokerage. Morgan Keegan. So Bob Archer wrote me and he, he asked me actually the same question. He says, I said, I don't know. I don't know our Bob. What is it? And he wrote me back and he said, you know, I think it's done by Etta James. Give it a listen. She's fantastic. And sure enough, I did find the Etta James version. It's her. So hang around to the very end of this podcast. 
you're going to hear a little bit of that. Just a little bit. Yeah, we don't want to break any laws. No, and I, I don't know I already am breaking a law. <laughs> <laughs> so Bob Archer is my musical genius hero man. <laughs> thank you. All right, thank you. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I did, um, I think it's okay to say this. I did talk to someone from ABC, and she handles like the podcast for Lost, and she kind of did advise me to kind of cut out the whole music thing because the licensing, I mean, we already know that the licensing for music is just prohibitive of them putting out DVDs, for instance. Yeah. And she said, you know, we really have to cool it. And I said, I, I would consider that. I, I should. But I can't help it. You know, music is good. And, you know, uh, the RIAA may come after me one day. But, um, also, really quickly, I, there's a lot of people that wrote in the storylines. I'm just going to read one from Chris Bannister, especially from Chris. He's a guy. Because last week I read an email that he wrote us, and I called him Kate, a girl. You know, I'm sorry, oh, Chris. Well, then we had another email that week that was from a Kate. Yeah, so okay. You, so, maybe you're just reading the I did. I, you mixed up the name with the email. I mixed, That was bad. So Chris re- did write us last week, too. Um, he has an idea. Ooh, so many of them. I'm, I'm just going to have to. Okay, I'll. I'll just have to read this first one. Then we'll, we'll talk about others later. Alan and Shirley have to handle a case together. And during a late night prep session, things turn, <clears throat> cover your ears, sexual. Uh-oh. This is a one-time affair. And, and Shirley will be able to use that possibility of another opportunity as a carrot dangle in front of Alan to get him to do certain things. <laughs> uh, I don't know, I think, man. Do think? I think they'd be more effective with Denny than Alan. Oh, okay. Okay. But Shirley and Alan. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Well, they, they've had a little sexual banter like we've commented on. Sure. Things may appear larger in the mirror than they seem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you know, I don't want them to turn into a sort of a Melrose Place thing where, you know, everybody sleeps everyone with everybody. Sleeps everyone, yeah. yeah, we don't want that. Also, and he did suggest, and I'm just going to say this really quickly because there's some truth to this now. He says Paul, one of his ideas is Paul actually gets a case. And that would be great, you know. <laughs> that would be great to see him in the courtroom. Well, just now I read, just today, that um, in the TV Guide column, the Ask Asiello, is that how you say it? I love this I guy's guess. column. He's he's witty and funny. And he leaked some information. Someone said, give us some scoop on Boston Legal. And he said, well, Paul's alcoholic daughter comes back on the scene. And let's see oh, if I can boy. read it right here. He says, uh, fair enough. Lewiston's alcoholic daughter is going to turn up clean, sober, and with child. Early oh. in 06, so this is next year. And I hear she's still pretty pissed at Pops for abandoning her when she, when the going got tough. Uh-huh. So, yeah. We'll see more Paul. Paul's not going anywhere. More emails later, but uh, for now, let's just say that that concludes our podcast for the title. Ask That Jungle. Oh, you emphasized that word just for me. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you very much. Don't forget, don't watch TV on Pots and Legal Tuesday nights. This coming week, unless you really want to hear Barbara Walters talking. But definitely yeah. December 6th. Do not yeah. forget it. Gone. Gone. Brad Chase. <laughs> Brad Chase. <laughs> and uh, that's 10 o'clock, episode 9. Tell all your friends to watch. Get the word out there. Thank you very much, Kyle, for joining us again. Thank you for having me. We've got a few weeks off. We're not going to hear a podcast from us until probably December, December 6th, 6th maybe, maybe the 9th or something. We'll see. The weekend however, after. However quick it takes us. Mm. We have real lives. We do. Don't get mad at us. <laughs> Don't get mad at us. <laughs> and until next time, remember this, Kyle. We look good, right? Ah, we look so good, it's it's a crime. <laughs> There's somebody I'm longing to see. Because he's your best friend. And I hope that he turns out to be. I'm afraid of nothing. Someone. To watch over Denny, me. those machines can't test for the stuff I've got going on. Someone to watch over me. 
someone 